All right, Alexander, let's do an update on uh, Ukraine. And uh, there is a lot going on. Uh, where should should we begin? Should we talk about the uh, the UK's depleted uranium misfire, backfire? I think that's that may be a good place to start. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 in fact, I think this is the what big we story. Now, what? Absolutely, I think this is the big story because what's happened, and I think the 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 the, the story within that story is that. I suspect that Ukraine has had to postpone its offensive very much against the wishes of its Western sponsors because um, its ammunition situation has just taken a massively critical bad turn over the last couple, couple of weeks. But the big story over the last two weeks in Ukraine has been these very, very heavy Russian missile and bomb strikes across Ukraine. And there's been a lot of other things going on. There's fighting in Bakhmut, there's been problems with the, some Russian aircraft being shot down. But the big picture is that as Ukraine has been gearing up for this offensive, they've been getting ammunition supplies from the West, and they've been concentrating them, as I presume they must do, in specific big ammunition Depots. Now, about 10 days ago, the Russians struck one at a place called Pavlograd in eastern Ukraine, and there was a huge explosion. And we've seen satellite pictures of, you know, the sort of crater that was created when apparently, you know, um, very large numbers of shells and munitions were exploded as a result of this missile strike. But yesterday, there was an even bigger missile strike of the same kind on an ammunition depot at a place called Khmelnytsky. And this was on an absolutely gigantic scale. There's now abundant pictures of this. You see a sort of huge mushroom cloud floating above the town. And um, there's uh, even been some suggestions that this was a tactical nuclear weapon use, but... Can I say definitely it wasn't? I've seen some people suggest that. But what is, I think, generating some of these these rumours is that on the one hand, as I said, this did look like a mushroom cloud. But the other thing is that there has been an uptick in radioactive signals. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but a radioactive material apparently in the area and the rumours, and I suspect these are plausible, perhaps true rumours, is that amongst the munitions that were destroyed in this strike on this ammunition dump, Ikhmelnitsky, were the depleted uranium shells that were supplied by Britain. And they would be an obvious target for the Russians to go for. Perhaps they weren't all there, but we know there were around a thousand of them. And, um, of course, that is creating dust to circulate. I understand the dust isn't exactly radioactive, but it, some of the particles, if you ingest them, can be very poisonous, very, very toxic. They can create cancers and all that kind of thing. And, of course, the people in this town, Khmelnytsky, are extremely alarmed. And you see reports circulating all over the all over the 
uh, internet um, people in that place very very worried about what has happened and by the way not being given much in the way of re reassurance by the Ukrainian authorities at least not up to this point so this is at two levels a major strike on the one hand it deprives Ukraine of ammunition Zelensky said after the strike on Pavlograd that Ukraine needed to postpone its offensive because it didn't have everything it needed to carry it out and maybe it lost ammunition in the Pavlograd strike and that was what caused it. Now that situation has been made much worse by this even bigger strike on the ammunition dump at Khmelnytsky. But of course we have the added concern, and it's a major concern, that um, these depleted uranium shells that the British supplied to Ukraine have turned out to be an absolute disaster for Ukraine itself because we see some evidence of contamination of a Ukrainian town with the civilians in that town potentially affected and the nearby countryside. Right. So the UK wanted to poison the Donbass and instead the UK has now poisoned the west of Ukraine. Well, it just emphasizes... The, the Russians told... Well, the yeah, Russians don't. told the, the, the Sunak government, they told the Sunak yes. government, don't do this. Absolutely. Don't do this. But the Sunak government, yes. they had to escalate. Not that, yes. you know, not that uh, the, the Sunak government and the neocons that control Sunak are going to really care about no. the people in Western no. Ukraine. No. They're no. going to care about the weapons, but they're not going to care about the people that they've, uh, that they've poisoned. Um, by I mean... By taking the bonehead, by taking the bonehead decision to deliver depleted uranium yes. to to the Ukraine military, when the Russians told them, "Don't do it," because the Ukraine yes. military is not is not equipped; they're not capable to to handle these things. And sure enough, they were uh, they were correct, and they moved the depleted uranium into a conflict zone, into a war zone. You don't do yes. that. The minute no. the depleted uranium enters uh, Ukraine, it becomes a target. Correct. But the UK, they had to go. They had to go along with it. They had to do it. They had to escalate. They had to one up yes. Poland and one up uh, Newland and Sullivan and, and show that they can escalate more than more than the other guys. Meanwhile, um, Alensky is nowhere to be found in Kiev. Nowhere. No. I don't think that's no. coincidence. And no. we've been saying this for a while now that uh, <laughs> the Russians just keep on wherever Ukraine is storing the weapons. The Russians hit those weapons and. Yes. And Ukraine can't go on this big uh, offensive. And so Elensky's yes. traveling Europe to look for more weapons. Yes. And the, and the dum-dums in Europe, the dummies in Europe are promising him more weapons. Yes. Because yes. if they don't, if, if they don't uh, continue this war, which they've bet their entire political existence on, mm. then they're screwed. So, so Elensky's yes. been to Finland. He's been to, uh, to the Netherlands. He's uh, he's been to to Poland, I believe. He's uh, he's in Berlin. He was in Berlin. He went to France. Now he's in the UK uh, visiting Sunak. Yes. He doesn't want to go to to to, you, to yeah. Ukraine. He doesn't want to be in Ukraine for multiple reasons. And you let, I'll give you the three reasons. And you, and you well, I'll give you my three road. reasons. 
And he and he where? left Art Rome. He, no, he was in Italy too, where where the new where the new globalist uh, puppet uh, Maloney promised yeah. him more money and weapons as well, and uh, and he visited with the Pope. Yeah. And the, of course, the Pope yeah. didn't say anything about the burning of churches. The no. Pope didn't mention no. any of the no. uh, of Olenski's no. burning of churches. No, we don't. We don't want to talk about that. Being no. being the Pope and being a man of of Christ and Christianity doesn't bother him one bit that Olenski's burning down churches anyway and arresting priests. That doesn't concern the Pope. But um, no. uh, three three reasons why Olenski is is doing this European world tour. Uh, one of the reasons is because uh, he's he's scared to death about what the Russians might do. Maybe mm. I don't think they will, but maybe their retaliation for his uh, ridiculous and dumb assassination attempt at, uh, at the Kremlin a couple of weeks ago with those drones. That's one reason. The other reason is because he knows that he can't do a counteroffensive because all of his equipment, U.S. US taxpayer uh, uh, military equipment, U.K. taxpayer military equipment, EU taxpayer military equipment is, is going up in smoke. And so now he has yes. to run around begging for more yes. equipment and... And this depleted uranium thing. You know, there are cleanup crews yes. there, Alexander. There, yes. there are reports that there are cleanup crews and they've got robots trying to yes. clean things up because they don't want human yes. beings there to clean it up. And all yes. of this dust is going to affect the wheat, the, the wheat that makes the bread, uh, the agriculture, the soil. Oh, it is what a disaster. Absolute, what a freaking is, disaster. Stop giving yeah, this guy money and end this war. Stop giving him money and end this war because he's an well, incompetent clown. And the people in Europe are all incompetent clowns. Yes, <laughs> anyway. you're absolutely you absolutely right. I, I, I have to say, I mean, I agree with every single point that you've made. And can I just say again, as a British person, I am shocked, disgusted and ashamed about the actions of my own government in supplying these weapons and if the contamination if there is this contamination and you're correct you're absolutely correct all the indications are that there is there's robots as you said there's clean up crews and to me this all resembles a little bit some of the pictures you saw from chernobyl way back in the 1980s i'm not saying that this is exactly comparable or analogous but anyway again there were robots used there to carry out cleanouts. There were people with you know, particular uh, suits and things trying to deal with the effect of all of this dust. I mean, the British government should have been aware of the possibilities that this would happen. And of course, they just ignored all warnings. And British society didn't mobilise in any sense to prevent it. And if you go today to the British media, you will find absolutely no mention of this incident at all. You have this giant explosion in a Ukrainian city. You see this enormous mushroom cloud, this enormous flash, and this enormous bang, and you get absolutely nothing. You get, you know, the usual, uh, you know, um, reporting, Hollywood-style reporting from the battlefields about, you know, heroic Ukrainian soldiers and uh, that kind of thing and all the latest news about Prigozhin's quarrels <laughs> with the defence ministry. That's all there. But this big explosion in this city, the possibilities of contamination, radioactive contamination, well, uh, well, contamination anyway, that isn't discussed, that's not talked about at all. And you're absolutely correct. Now, Zelensky... He's going everywhere. He's staying 
in Kiev itself as little as possible. And one wonders why. I mean, he's he went to, as you said, he went to Poland, he went to Finland, he's been to the Netherlands, he's been to Germany, he's been to Rome, where he met, as you said, Maloney, and he met the Pope. And by the way, everything you can say about the Pope is absolutely correct. It's entirely true. The Pope pretends that he's got, I'm sorry to speak in this straightforward way, but the Pope is pretending that he's got some kind of peace initiative on the go. The Russians say they know absolutely nothing about it. They've had no contact from the Vatican whatsoever. And for the record, the way in which Zelensky behaved in the audience he had with the Pope was absolutely typical. He again didn't turn up with a tie or a suit. He was again the usual Zelensky in his camouflage jacket and T-shirt and all that kind of thing. And he said basically to the Pope, straight to his face, we don't need mediators. What we need, in effect, is a Russian surrender. So why does the Pope go out, go along with this bizarre charade? I mean, it's so undignified in the person of the Pope as well. I, I, I could say a lot more. I'm not going to because, well, I have some respect for the history, if you like, and the institution. But I endorse everything you say about the Pope. He's silent about the fact that churches have been seized, uh, priests being arrested, all of those things. And, you know, this is the man who says he's the vicar of Christ on earth. But, you know, all of that apparently doesn't concern him. And... Um, those of us who are familiar with our history will know that there have been other situations where the Pope predecessors have been open to the same sort of criticism. But I don't want to go too much into all of this. There we are. That's where we are. We are in exactly the situation that you described. And you talk about um, escalation by Britain. Of course, we've now supplied these storm shadow missiles. They've been used to carry out missile strikes on Lugansk. Notice an area, Lugansk city, an area behind the front lines. It's not clear that they've actually struck anything significant, but the Russians claim that they shot down the aircraft that launched these missiles. So supplying these missiles is killing people when those missiles strike their targets, and it's also killing the pilots who launched these missiles that strike those targets. So and, uh, potentially another debacle there as well. Well, the purpose of the of the long-range missiles, and now Sunak said he's going to supply hundreds of long-range drones as well. The purpose is not to uh, to win the, the conflict with Russia, but the purpose of, of the UK supplying these weapons is not for military purposes. It's to terrorize civilians. It's to terrorize the people of Russia because they still have in their thick skulls that they can get some sort of regime change. They still have this concept, this idea that they're going to create some sort of panic, which will lead to some sort of Russian government change or palace intrigue or something stupid like that. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. And what they should do is just end this nonsense. The Pope should have never given Alensky a platform. He should have denied Absolutely. his visit. He should have turned him away. Period. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. And the minute he did show up in the Vatican 
wearing that sweatshirt with those symbols, which have no connection to Christianity, to Christ, to God, any such things, he should have been turned away. Period. Flat out turned away. I completely agree. In the Orthodox Church, that would have been seen as a blasphemy. Sorry that I'm saying it, but it's the truth. It is without a doubt the truth. How dare he walk into the Vatican wearing that attire? Anyway, um, once upon a time, you once upon a time, can I just say, once upon a time, you could not have entered the Vatican as a tourist wearing that kind of attire. Certainly not be admitted into an audience with the Pope. I mean, I, I, I speak from knowledge. I mean, I visited Rome in the in the early seventies, and I know people who visited it in the you know before then. And you could not have entered the Vatican building dressed like that. Anyway, wh- where do we go from from here? Now, the Russians are are anything the U.S. and the collective West sends, the Russians destroy. Yes, and this counteroffensive, the Russians will destroy that. Even if Ukraine gains territory, they can't hold it. The Russians will destroy whatever forces, gain whatever territory, just like they did in Kherson, just like they did in Kharkov. Yeah. How how much longer can this continue? Because my sense of things is this. Mm. I've been seeing what the Washington Post has been putting out there. They put an article out about how Lenski's pretty much a maniac and he wants to blow up Hungarian pipelines and he wants to invade Russia and occupy Russian villages. Yes. The Washington Post is the paper of the three-letter agencies, the deep states, and other organizations in D.C. It's, it's, it's the insiders of D.C. Yes. And, and we've been saying for a while now that there's a battle in, in yes. D.C. There's the Biden White House and the neocons that want to go full-on escalation, World War III. But there are other forces in D.C. that are saying it's over. It is over. Yes. It's time to move on. Yes. Let's focus on Taiwan and China and mm. God knows what else they have in their in their minds. But um, I believe that much of this tour that is taking place right now and much of this UK escalation is is in response to what they believe are are some of these voices in D.C. signaling that Alensky is incompetent. He's out of control. He's an idiot. He's not going to win this war. It's over. And meanwhile, you yes. have Schultz and Macron and Sunak and Maloney gushing over uh, Zelensky and promising they're going to give more weapons and more money because they want to keep this thing going. And I just think that they're trying to signal to, 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 to some forces in D.C., no, do not end this war. We've got yes. our whole political careers at stake yes. for this conflict. Yes. Don't end it. Yes. I, I don't know. Something like that seems to be playing out. No, I, out. I, 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 think, I think this is exactly correct. I think this is, again, I mean, we've been saying, I think we're the first people to say, way back in, I think before the end of last year, when those offensives in Kharkov and Kherson didn't achieve their objective, they didn't precipitate the political crisis in Moscow, they didn't panic the Russians, they didn't cause the Russian military to collapse. From that moment forward, there's been an increasingly tough debate going on in Washington between the uh, military professionals, backed by people in the, um, as you said, the alphabet of intelligence agencies, some of them at least, backed also by people, I suspect, in the financial and economic departments of the US government, backed by some of the political operators 
who run the Democratic Party and who are worried about the election they have to win next year. And they want to see this end. They want a negotiated solution. They're pushing for one. And as you absolutely rightly said, that Washington Post article was damning. I mean, Zelensky completely out of control. He wants to capture Russian cities, blow up pipelines, do all sorts of crazy things inside Russia. Um, he's much more aggressive in private than he appears to be in public, except, by the way, he's pretty aggressive in public as well. And uh, undermining, in other words, call, calling into question um, the rationality of continuing to support this person. And on the other hand, you have the neocons, you have Blinken and Newland. They're also, they want to continue the war. They're still gambling on some kind of uprising in Moscow. And Sullivan, who was part of that team, some hints now that he's starting to shift, that he's starting to switch sides, that he's going over to the side of the more realists, because he's somebody who's concerned with elections. And he sees the fact that Donald Trump is ahead in the polls and appears to be stretching his lead. And he's concerned about that. And he wants to bring this all under control and bring it all to an end. And you're absolutely correct. The Europeans massively overcommitted, massively overinvested in this adventure into which the neocons led them, terrified now that the Americans will cut, will cut them off. And uh, um, doing everything they possibly can to commit the United States to continuing with this war. Because, as you rightly say, their careers now rest on it. So we have storm shadow missiles being supplied. We see depleted uranium shells. We see the German government recycling its old arms promises into a new arms package promise. It's exactly the same things that they previously said that they would supply, but they made a big play of it. You see Zelensky being given his, the Charlemagne Prize. All those things going on in order to try to keep this thing going, to keep the show on the road. And I don't think this is going to hold. There's another factor that's now coming into play, which is we now have information about who the new chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is going to be, who's going to take over from Millie. And he's an Air Force officer. His name is Brown. Apparently, he's made no secret about his scepticism about the Ukrainian affair. He's fully focused on China. He doesn't want to be tied down, wasting time um, fighting this war in Ukraine. And we've had all kinds of reports now which must be sourced from the US military about how the Russians are successfully jamming weapons like the HIMARS, for example, which were precisely the weapons that the US wants to use or is intending to use in its coming conflict with China. So US weapons technology is becoming compromised. So you, you have this thing playing out in Washington. You have the president, I suspect, still committed to the war. You have the Blinken and Newland and State Department crowd and the neocons still committed to the war. But it seems to me, as you absolutely rightly say, that the realists are gaining ground and the Europeans are becoming more nervous. Yeah. What happens when, uh, when the US ditches its focus on Europe and 
and looks towards China. What, what do the Baltic nations do? What does Poland do? What does Germany do? What does Britain do? Uh, what does Britain do? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll hold another debate in the House of Commons, as we did following the US withdrawal from Afghanistan. We'll talk about the pusillanimity, you know, the, the weakness of the Americans and how they don't have the will to stay the course. We'll pretend ridiculously that we could have can conducted it all ourselves, all by ourselves, something which is absolute nonsense, which nobody should take seriously. And that's all we can do. <laughs> because they are a superpower and we are not. Now that has to be said about European aggregate. I mean, the European economy is a shambles. Germany is heading into contraction. France is heading into a debt crisis. Britain's economy is stagnant and sagging. Living standards here are falling. Our military is becoming depleted. Ben Wallace is going to cut down, that's our defence secretary here, is going to cut down the size of the British army. We were uh, uh, ridiculing the Russians for years about the fact that their old aircraft carrier, the Kuznetsov, its engine doesn't work. But that was an old aircraft carrier built in the Soviet times. Our spanking new Queen Elizabeth II aircraft carrier, its engine also doesn't work. Notice nobody makes those comparisons, but apparently it's got multiple engine problems. We don't have enough fighter jets. We don't have enough missiles. We just go on sending more and more of what we have which is increasingly less, to Ukraine. We send them there's our storm shadows. We send them our drones. They don't make any difference. Apparently, there's reports now that the US military were offered the storm shadow by the British. They weren't impressed by it when they did use it. And anyway, we pretend that we are strong and that the Americans are weak when everybody knows it's the other way around. Yeah, without the United States, Europe is completely exposed. Absolutely completely exposed without absolutely. the U.S. Absolutely, yeah. which is why Orban knows this. Orban knows this absolutely. Yes, and he's saying and, it now in public. Absolutely, absolutely, and we're now getting scary articles appearing in the British media, by the way, about the rise of Donald Trump. An absolutely outrageous one in the Guardian by Jonathan Friedland, calling him a clear and present danger. I mean, using American terminology, I mean, you know, that is, an, I mean, I, I'm sure Americans know what, where, the, where that expression comes from. And I mean, it, 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 it's almost an invitation to take direct action against him. At least that's how I read that article. But um, to my mind, when you see things like that, it tells you how edgy and nervous the mood in London has become. And I'm sure it's the same in Warsaw. And I'm sure... Also, it's the same in Berlin, because the political class there has also become desperately overcommitted to this adventure. And they sense increasingly that um, German opinion is moving against them. And though the political parties, the political lineup hasn't changed in terms of opinion polling, I would suspect that in time it will. And they know it too. Okay. Um, do we want to mention this Washington Post article with Prigozhin and the interview with with, with Zelensky and removing some of the interview from Zelensky because it's it might compromise 
Ukraine intelligence and just such stupidities. This, this whole thing is, you know, whether he's right or wrong or in the middle or this article is wrong or right or whatever. It's personally, I think it's a dumb article from the Washington yeah. Post meant to meant to smear Prigozhin. Yeah, I don't like the article. It's meant to smear him. But just let's take this arc, this this whole story arc and and put it to, to rest. Bury it to rest. I agree. I mean, I, I, I come back to my own personal view about this is that he's been in this in this in the battle areas for too long. I, I, I think that is the single simplest most logical explanation of what's happened that as i said it's gone it's been too much over too much time he's also very possessive about the whole bakhmut battle i remember months ago he was denying that the russian military had any role at all in the fighting in bakhmut it was all wagner forces doing it all by themselves single-handed which was not true and i think he's also the closer he comes, or at least the Wagner forces, or at least the Russian forces come to ending this fight in Bakhmut, and they're now very close indeed, the more um, nervous he seems to be that something's going to happen and it's going to be snatched from him in some way. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's time to remove him from the scene. I don't believe he's, any kind of, he's been in any kind of contact with Zelensky or anything of that kind. I think it's a ludicrous... Uh, I think it's a smear. I think that's. Uh, I, I don't. I don't believe that. I think it's intended to create trouble, and it does in an incredibly clumsy way. But it is a fact that what Prigozhin says is now being used and recycled by the Western media, the Ukrainian media and the propaganda departments of NATO and of Ukraine to basically develop and build up their story. And that has an unsettling effect in Russia itself, bound to. And it's, it's something that really has to be brought to a stop. You know, he may be right in some of the things that he's saying, but the way he's gone about doing it has been disastrous in uh, morale terms. Yeah, he's probably light, right about a lot of the, the stuff that he says. No, no, no doubt yes. about it. But it's just... Well, you, you can't, it's, it's like you, you can't said, it's being like... picked up. Yeah. yeah, it's being picked up by Ukraine and the West and they're completely spinning it. And now they're on they're they're in overdrive now with these articles yeah. from the Washington Post. I mean Absolutely. ridiculous stuff, but Yes. Yes. You can't you cannot talk like that in public in time of war. You are you have to accept discipline. I mean, you know, let let's assume that he's not getting the amount of ammunition that he wants. And you know, I accept that. That's probably every Every commander always wants more ammunition. It's a given. But the fact is, he's almost certainly getting an awful lot more than the Ukrainians are. But the Ukrainians, on this at least, have discipline. They don't, you don't get Ukrainian commanders coming along, openly complaining in the kind of way that Prigozhin has been doing, running public campaigns against the Ukrainian government. If they did do that, they would find themselves immediately in very serious trouble. And Prigozhin doesn't seem to understand this, that you have to accept in war the discipline of war, information management, 
is an essential part of war. If everything was carried out and conducted in this public way, it would be a no war could be no war could be fought effectively. And given that the whole objective of the Western powers has been to try and provoke some kind of political crisis in Moscow, adding to that atmosphere in a way that might actually facilitate the achievement of that objective to create a political crisis. It's, it's irresponsible. It's not what a military commander, and of course Prigozhin likes to present himself as a military commander, it's not what a military commander should be doing. So I hope that Bakhmut will be taken fairly soon. I gather this. I mean, he changes his story. One day it's 20 buildings, then it's 28 buildings, then he's captured 20 buildings, and there's only 28 left to take. But there's no doubt at all that he's advancing, that the Wagner forces are advancing in Bakhmut. And if you look at the maps, the amount of territory still to take is, is very small. Uh, there's some high-rise buildings, but most of them are falling one by one. So let's get this thing in Bakhmut over and done with. And he can go into the rear, get into politics if that's what he wants to do, take a good rest, get some treatment, recover and let others get on with the war. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. The Russians should just finish this and and put it to bed. Yeah, all right. Uh, com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care. <laughs>